Hello everyone, in this episode we will talk about Dexker, the operating system for digital care. Dexker is a platform as a service for health systems that intelligently orchestrates digital demand and health system capacity across all lines of care. Last week Dexker closed a $50 million Series B round led by Transformation Capital. To learn more about this company, we're joined today by two truly remarkable guests, the CEO of Dexker, Derek Street, and the board director, Dr. Toby Cosgrove. Let me tell you more about our guests. So Derek is an accomplished healthcare technology executive and serial entrepreneur. Prior to joining Dexker, Derek served as vice president of digital solutions at Johnson & Johnson, a role he assumed after the company he co-founded, called CSATS, was acquired by J&J. He led the charge to transform the organization responsible for training 250,000 surgeons worldwide into a leading healthcare quality improvement and a continuous learning institution. And the second guest, Dr. Toby Cosgrove, is a real legend. Dr. Cosgrove served as the president and CEO of Cleveland Clinic from 2004 until 2017. He led the $8 billion organization to new heights of achievement and efficiency, seeing it ranked as the second hospital in America. Dr. Cosgrove joined Cleveland Clinic in 1975 and then, from 1989, chaired the Department of Thoracic and Cardiovascular Surgery. He performed over 22,000 operations and earned an international reputation in valve repair. Dr. Cosgrove holds 30 patents for medical innovations and three successive presidents of the United States have consulted him on healthcare issues. Good morning, Derek. Where does this podcast find you? Hi, Oscar. Glad to be here. I'm located in Seattle, Washington. And good morning, Toby. Tell us what made you interested to join this amazing team. Good morning, Oscar. I'm Toby Cosgrove, and I have been interested in some time in the making healthcare delivery more efficient. And the two places that I saw their tremendous administrative inefficiencies are at the beginning of the getting an appointment and getting into the healthcare system, and secondly, at the back end and putting out a bill efficiently. So that's how I became interested in Dexcare. And so let us start with an overview of the recent changes in healthcare. Could you tell me more about the recent trends in telehealth and virtual care? Well, why don't I begin a little bit? I think that telehealth has been an enormous change in healthcare. You know, prior to COVID, I got, and as hard as I could push, I could get about 1% of the doctors interested in telehealth. At the height of COVID, it was about 60% of visits were done that way, and 95% of diabetics were treated that way. So, and now that I think it is coming back to some sort of normal application, which I guess will be somewhere between 15 and 20% healthcare visits will be done in some virtual sort of way. We'd love to learn more about Dexker founding story. Derek, tell us more about how did Dexker start and what was the initial pain point to be solved? Sure. So Dexcare originated Providence Health System, which is a, a larger health system, mostly servicing the western part of the U.S., here, here in the United States, obviously, based mm -hmm. in Seattle, Washington. And it was originally created by a team inside of that group called the Digital Innovation Group, which is essentially a bunch of outsiders coming into healthcare. Uh, Rod Hockman, the CEO there, brought on a gentleman by the name of Aaron Martin, who came from Amazon, ran Kindle for Jeff Bezos there, and, and then he brought a bunch of his friends over. And the mandate was to create a system that just made it easier for 
consumers to access healthcare. It was really focused on access first and foremost, and do it across all different modalities and service lines. So whether it was uh, scheduling care to be delivered in person in a clinic, fully synchronous video visits, scheduling care to be delivered in the home, everything in between, wanted to do it in the one unified experience. And so they did that and found that, that, you know, by kind of focusing on one of those two problems that Toby had mentioned earlier, just getting an appointment, that if you did make things more accessible to folks and made it, made it easier and more convenient for them to get care, that you could do a lot of really good things. And so that system, which became the genesis of DexCare, still to this day helps 30% more patients, net new patients, if you will, find and access Providence Healthcare than it would have otherwise allows them to do it in a fraction of the time and a fraction of the cost of traditional ways of delivering care and uh, really enables consumers that need to get care in any of the areas that Providence serves to do it on their own terms, whether it's scheduling something, you know, weeks out or they need to get care on the spot and everything in between. We'd love to learn how does it work. Could you help us understand how Dexcore works currently? And, you know, I've heard there are three modules, right? Demand generation, intelligent navigation, and a capacity optimization. Is that right? Yeah, correct, Oscar. And so we start with that genesis of just making care more accessible, easier to access. And then we go then beyond that, though, to not only make digitally enabled care, we call it, work well for consumers, but then the other stakeholders that are involved as well, providers and the health systems as well. It's a, it's a unified system, if you will. And we discovered this during COVID, by the way, when COVID hit, you know, got on the shores in kind of early 2020, maybe it was here earlier, but that's when we sort of all figured it out. And everything went to telehealth, as you kind of described it earlier, and kind of virtualized care. We found that health systems were sort of awash in lots and lots of capability to deliver this kind of virtual care or telehealth. But what they didn't have was the things to actually make those things work for all those stakeholders involved, consumers, providers, and the health systems. And so what we do is we then extended DexCare to focus on the three problem areas we identified to make digital enabled care work for all those stakeholders. And as you mentioned, Oscar, the first is it's got to be very discoverable. We call that digital demand. And just simply put, if a consumer cannot find your care offerings from a health system in the first place, well, then you're not in the game in the first place. They're never going to get care. By definition, do not have access at that point. And contrary to what most folks think, consumers are not hanging out on hospital websites when they need care and are thinking about care or maybe even pre-care. They're doing things online that we all do in other platforms, search engines and other online platforms. So, so we extend the health system's availability, their resources out to the places where consumers are spending their time today. That's digital demand. The second then is once consumers have found care and now do come over to the health system's digital front door, they need to get the safest and best care options presented to them first and foremost. They're sort of a, most of the health systems these days that do make their care accessible online, which is not the majority, but the of the ones that do. They're very sort of Web 1.0 traditional search browse kind of interfaces, which have a place in the world. But there's a lot of factors that come into whether or not a particular care setting or modality is, is safest and best for a particular consumer. Just because I want to go see an orthopedic surgeon because my knee has a little bit of pain doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to get the best care if I just choose to go see an orthopedic surgeon. So intelligently routing them to safest and best care option is a second component. And the third and final component is what we call capacity optimization. And that is automatically allocating resources when and where they can be most productively employed. And so we have a lot of data about consumer intent and motivation, clinical need, and then health system and provider needs that we munge together to ultimately get to the best provider 
to match up with each particular patient in that encounter, given the set of characteristics that that patient is coming in. And best to us means it's an encounter that's going to yield the best results for all those stakeholders. So highest satisfaction, shortest duration, highest issue resolution, things like that. And the system generates an average of a 96 out of 100 net promoter score for a consumer. So we know that combination of things works really, really well. What our listeners will love is understanding business models. So we all know that as entrepreneurs, it's super hard to find the right product market fit. Derek, could you tell me more about your current core business model and how do you see it evolving with time? Yeah. So when I think of business models, Oscar, I think of the kind of the economic interpretation of that, right? Which I think is what most people think of. Then I think of the strategic interpretation of that. So the economic interpretation of that is uh, it's a very kind of typical SaaS model. So we have a one-time implementation fee to, to implement the system. Our customers are large health systems, well, large and small, I should say, health systems. And they implement this system over the course of a three-month period, and then they're off to the races. And then we have an annual software as a service license as well. Like any kind of SaaS business, they pay that license in order to use this system across any service lines that they happen to have. Strategically, what our business model is, is to enable any of their patients, consumers, to get exceptional access to the best expertise to treat, prevent, and cure illness. And we do that across service lines cross modalities. And so when you look at how we work with different health systems, typically we will start in a particular service line. It could be urgent care or retail care or things like that. And then it'll eventually evolve to other service lines, could be primary care, certain specialties. We've started working with certain health systems and in certain specialties. I mentioned orthopedics as an example earlier. We do that with the health system in the Wisconsin area in the United States. And then we also go across modalities. So some health systems use this for virtual care. Some use it for online scheduling of in-person care, things like that. And so the business model is really what we call in the land and expand model. I mean, we'll, we'll start within a particular service line or modality in a health system. And then as they find value there, and we've been able to show that the value can port across service lines and modality, we then expand into those other areas within the health system, which is the key to a lot of the growth and the success that we've had thus far. Yeah, I think one of the things you have to understand about what COVID has done is put a tremendous financial strain on every healthcare delivery system. And uh, if you look at where the cost in healthcare is, it is basically 60% of the cost of running a hospital is people. And right now, these are major call centers. The Cleveland Clinic call center is, has over something like 700 people working in their, their call center. And that is a very costly endeavor and not all ever really terribly efficient. So we're looking at ways to decrease costs and make it more efficient for patients to get to see the people that they need to see. It started in primary emergent care and primary care and telemedicine and is... Derek points out, it is uh, more complicated to do it in specialty care. And that's, as he said, land and the straightforward things and then move to the increasingly complicated issues. And Toby, could you speak about any other kind of learnings and things from the times you were heading Cleveland Clinic? Could you now uh, try to compare them to the mission driven by Dexker? Yeah, well, you know, uh, the clinic, uh, just to give you some idea, we have almost uh, 2 million incoming calls for appointments just in the main campus in a year's time. And that is a major issue. And, you know, people want to be seen when they want to be seen. One of the things we did is we instituted a program called Same Day Appointments. So anybody calls up, we say, look, we may not be able to see you with your favorite doctor, but we can get you seen someplace in the system within 24 hours. 
And I think that is part of the responsibility of a healthcare delivery system. And we learned that from patient calling up and saying, you need to see a urologist. And they gave an appointment in two weeks and he was in acute urinary retention. So you don't know when somebody calls up and wants to be seen, you have to ask them, do you want to be seen today? And you have to meet those issues. So healthcare in general, I think, is becoming much more, if you will, patient or consumer friendly. And that's the objective of it. And to try and figure out how you meet the patient's needs, uh, where and when they want to be seen. And this is a step to try and do that. It's similar to what you're seeing right now, the decentralization of uh, healthcare delivery. And increasingly, things that were in the hospital, uh, you had to come to the hospital. Now we're trying to move it to outpatient and to homes. And with new technology, that becomes increasingly possible and obviously, appointment-wise, increasingly complicated. Yeah, that's, uh, I'll just add, that's a, you know, Toby sees so prescient. That's why it's great having him on on our board. He set up same-day care, as he had mentioned when he was there after that when Providence got what became DexCare eventually set up, they initially called it same-day care. And so it was the same kind of idea. So those learnings, sort sort of funny how it's worked out. Now here we are together and Toby is part of DexCare. But I guess uh, before I even showed up over at DexCare, Providence folks were taking a page out of Toby's book. That's really amazing. I've actually wanted to ask you, Derek, you know, how does DexCare fit into Providence long-term strategy? Is there anything apart from, you know, this particular use case that you can point out to? Yeah, it's very core. So Providence invested four years and $40 million in this before I even showed up to spin this out as a separate organization. And of course, now we work with some health systems that are even larger than Providence and certainly ones that are smaller. It's very core to their, not just their consumer strategy, but I would say also to their, you know, other things, other key issues that are playing in that health system, just like everybody else out there, right? So as I'm sure Toby has lived and dealt with for years. It's just, it's been exasperated by COVID. There are massive workforce issues affecting these health systems right now. There's just not enough people to be able to handle and take care of in a very kind of one-on-one manual way, all of those, all the patients that are out there today and that need help and the demographics are pointing to it becoming even more of an issue going forward. So DexCare is a system that not only helps, you know, do all the things I mentioned earlier to make make care more consumer friendly and discoverable to those consumers. But, you know, there's sort of another side of that. Well, you know, once you do that and you get more of those consumers coming over, now that you need more people to take care of them as well. And so it becomes a very important system to help them essentially kind of load balance, if you will, or optimize resources across the health system. And we do that with other large health systems as well around the country. We load balance, for example, all the providers and resources for 100% of virtual care for Kaiser, for example, across the country right now. And so others take advantage of this as well. But but back to Providence, it really is a system to help drive their consumer initiatives, contribute. It's not the only thing, but contribute to improving or releasing some of the pressure on the workforce issues they have there. And then I would say, finally, it becomes a way to help kind of grow and build a relationship with patients as well. You know, a lot of what we do because we're so kind of focused on that tip of the spear access point, you know, one can look at it and say, DexCare is very kind of transactional in what it's doing. But when you step back a little bit and look at what happens, because it's a platform that for profits and others is always there for the consumer when they need, or even starting to think about care, you can start to step back and you can look at each of those access transactions, if you will, each of those points. And 
you know, you got all these two points that start to make a line, right? And so it helps them build relationship and over time with those consumers and those patients as well. Even though we don't do things like remote patient monitoring and things like that in the home, it's the access is a key part of component building that relationship over time. And so you're actually solving internal problems, but also trying to scale the product outside of your organization or let's say your core organization. Is that a good analogy to say that you're doing things that are similar to Zeus Health? They're doing it like in the space of data sharing, right? Yeah. I've seen you already started to work with many other third-party developers and you're trying to build an ecosystem for developers. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I come to realize, and I'm fine with this, that the digital health ecosystem is one giant Venn diagram. So, you know, the minute somebody says that nobody competes with what they do and they obviously they're either not being genuine or they don't understand their business, neither which is very, very good. So we all overlap a little bit. And the question is, where's the space in between and, and how kind of impactful is that for folks so you can deliver some value? And, and if it's enough, then, then build a business on that. And so we see the Zeus Health of the world. We see the, you know, there are marketplaces on the digital demand front. There are certainly navigators out there, kind of more sort of symptom checker navigators, the giants of the world. There are the online schedules of the world, the kyrises of the world, the blockheads there. And, and then, of course, then the big one, right, are the EMRs. Right? And so the EMRs will show up and say that they can do just about everything. And so what we find is, though, Oscar, is that it's very difficult for organizations to make those points in between work. And so there's a lot of um, kind of point solutions out there. These health systems have invested a lot of money in these point solutions. Unfortunately, EMRs, which are not a point solution, are not very consumer focused. And so that doesn't really get them to where they want to go in context of this conversation here. And so we find that really that unification of digital demand, intelligent navigation, and then capacity optimization and load balancing is very, very unique in the space. It is, a, you could call it an ecosystem play, although the one caveat I would say is we don't believe that you need to, in order to be successful for patients, providers, and health systems, that you need to necessarily deeply integrate into every piece of technology out there. You'll, first of all, you'll never get anything done. And secondly, there's enough technology kind of middleware out there, if you will, the platforms that people already spend time on and so forth that we kind of operate as a bus, if you will, you know, we'll take people in and between applications, dropping them off, picking them up afterwards as well. It's very different than a deep, deep sort of integration strategy. And that helps us move fast and deliver value to health systems, you know, on a timeline that's reasonable for them. Yeah. You know, let me just sort of put a point of emphasis on one of the things that was sort of mentioned in passing. One of the things that we're going to find is a tremendous shortage of workers in the healthcare area. Right now, across uh, Northeast Ohio, there are 100 beds that are closed simply because we can't find people to, to cover them. Not the doctors, but the nurses and all the technicians, etc. So we are going to have to rely increasingly digital efforts to reduce the, all the administrative work that goes on across everything in healthcare. And this is part of that. Uh, trend, the, the biggest growth in healthcare has been in the administrative aspects of it over the last 20 years. And we somehow have got to get digital capabilities to help us step back from that and put people who are currently doing a lot of uh, administrative work and allow them to be, become much more integrated in healthcare and at the same time reduce the cost of healthcare. And so let's try to look into the future for a moment. What are the next steps for Dexcor as a company and as a product? Could you tell me about a 10-year vision? Yeah. So just to pick up where Toby was, and then I'll go from there. 
I think the workforce issues are not going away. So for the foreseeable future, that will be a focus of ours, helping health systems. Again, it's a a third leg of our stool. Maybe it's bigger than the other legs of the stool, if you will. Optimize resources, intelligently allocate them when and where they can be most productively employed in a way that works for the providers as well, right? Because just more and more patients that a provider can't take care of is going to burn out that provider as well. And so there could always be a big focus on that. But then to kind of pull up from there, Oscar, really our vision, as I mentioned earlier, is that one day everyone has exceptional access to the best expertise to prevent, treat, and cure illness. And we truly believe that as large as that vision is, that it is something that you can make material progress in half decades or decades. And so what does that mean for us? Well, I think when you look at Dexcare, I'm hoping it doesn't take 10 years, quite frankly, to get there, but some number less than that. I think you'll see Dexcare, you'll definitely see it across service lines. You'll see us making access much more convenient, doing all the things I talked about here today within pretty specialized spaces. Obviously, Toby, with his background, understands the cardiology space and the cardiothoracic surgery space really, really well. That's an area, for example, that we think we can help in and many and many more. So you'll see Dexcare being utilized across the health systems and across modalities within those health systems. You'll see Dexcare also virtualizing certain aspects of healthcare as well, sort of virtualizing, right? So it's one thing to go from in-person visit to now an on-demand video visit. It's another thing to go from in-person to on-demand video visit to, oh, wait, you actually need to see a specialist right there. Wait one second, specialist shows up. Okay, let's now, if we have to have you come in, you know, for some certain procedures that would require in-person, we'll do that. If not, and we can start getting therapy to you in, again, a virtual way or delivered to you. Those are things I think you'll see Dexcare powering going forward where it's no longer just, you know, the access to that individual, but now access to the individuals or the resources that will help kind of extend that care for you as well, right? So I'll give you an example, by the way, that could be predictive of the future. We're implementing a partnership right now with three-way partnership with Providence, Albertsons, you know, large grocery chain here in the U.S. and us. And it's initially starting out as a care delivery you know, see a nurse practitioner in the pharmacy in the back of the store for any of your care needs. Where it's going, though, what the customization we're doing to it is you also be able to see a nutritionist there as well. And that nutritionist will then shop with you virtually in the Dexcare platform across, you know, Albertson's products to get you, it's sort of a food as medicine play to get you the food that you need to help manage your type 2 diabetes or things like that. And we'll do all of that inside the virtual platform. Now, that's a specialized resource that is providing specialized service to you in a very kind of creative or unique way beyond just having a conversation with you. That's part of it. But, you know, so is the shopping for the right food for you as well right there. And that benefits everybody to have that. I think you'll see more of those sort of creative things happening as we extend out how Dexcare is applied, the the use cases that it's applied beyond just I'm getting you an appointment now, which is the start. I also think that the tools that can be used virtually are increasing amazingly and they're going to be aided by AI. Uh, one of the interesting examples that I've seen now is the little device uh, that a lab core has that put your fingers on and give you an electrocardiogram. Now, they've also realized that you can predict from a straightforward electrocardiogram whether you're going to go to atrial fibrillation in the next six months with 95% accuracy. Now. Think about what that means in terms of, you know, there's going to be all kinds of enhancements that are going to come from AI. You know, already we're looking at dermatology applications. I think that the potential with the new tools that are coming virtually are going to add substantially to telemedicine's capabilities 
seeing in across all sorts of emerging areas. Yeah, Toby is just spot on. To give you examples of some of the things we're doing on the AI front right now, and we are, I should have said, like when people ask what DexCare is, I don't even start with the product. I mean, we just kind of jumped into it here. But I tell people, we're a data-driven intelligence company focused on healthcare access. And then we talk about the product. And so as an example of that, today we have models that will predict that if we match you up with this particular provider, could be a NP, could be a physician, et cetera. If we match you up with this particular provider, given this set of conditions or situations that you're coming in with, mostly clinical, as well as your preferences, things you've told us, et cetera, that we know if we match you up with that provider, it'll yield this kind of satisfaction score. It'll yield this sort of visit duration. It'll yield this chance of resolving your issue within the visit, as opposed to having to do a two-step process follow-up. You know, okay, I saw you on the video. Now I got to have you come in, you know, which isn't a great experience for anybody. You know, all those things. We can predict cost on that, right? So he's absolutely right that the data liquidity, and this has happened in every other industry, it's just like a lot of things, healthcare catches up over time or has to catch up. The data liquidity is tremendous out there these days. And those things, the technology is good enough today, very good in making sense of those data to make these kinds of predictions that end up providing better care for everybody. They can go too far, by the way, we are not in the camp of believing that, you know, AI is going to replace doctors and so forth, but it can help triage. It can help become an autopilot like you still have a pilot in a plane who manages the gauges and the instrumentation and makes changes, understands the context, the situation makes changes as they need to make them. It can help with that process and help everybody out in the long run. And what do you think about the potential VR in healthcare? What do you think about taking healthcare to the metaverse? You say VR, like virtual reality? VR, yeah. Sure, I can. Do you I, think it can actually you know, expand the virtual offering and make it even more comprehensive? I can share a little bit of perspective. Toby probably has, has me even more, but I haven't thought about it a ton in the context of Dexcare. I can tell you my last company, which was in the surgery space, where we train people and then machines to read and interpret surgical case videos and eventually use that technology to then feed into smart systems and robotic systems and so forth to identify no-fly zones and critical structures and things like that. After spending a year and a half at J&J, where they're very much into VR from a training and also an interoperative standpoint, I do believe that certain spaces, I would think surgery, although I'm not a surgeon, so Toby can beat me up on this or certainly speak better about this than I can. I have certainly seen it in, in action. I think there are certain spaces where, and surgery could be one of them, where VR where that enhanced imaging and resolution in a virtual environment can just do things that a human eye can't do and can, again, help. Again, I don't think any of this stuff replaces the individuals. I think it expands their capabilities. And so I've seen applications there and, and could, you could, could certainly see it be being important there. For Dexter, I haven't thought a lot about it. Toby, I don't know if you have perspective given your surgical background. Yeah, I, actually I do. We worked with Microsoft to develop anatomy. And so anatomy is now taught at the Cuban Clinic Learner College of Medicine, totally with uh, virtual. And interestingly, one day I'm walking around a heart that is out in space and you can walk all the way around it. And they say, okay, Toby, stick your head in. So I go like this and I stick my head in. My head's in the left ventricle. And I'm looking at the outflow track, the left ventricle which in, you know, in 20,000 heart operations I'd never seen before. So the potential of this is enormous. And I now know it is being coupled with surgical cases, which uh, working on right now, 
I think the potential for this is going to be enormous in the operating room and, and particularly in, in education is where it's going to start. It turns out that students in education do better in their anatomy if they've been taught this way than if they're dissecting some cold cadaver. And I thought the biggest waste of time that I've ever spent in education was dissecting a cadaver. And then I had to learn the anatomy for a heart all over again when I cardiac surgery. So I think that the opportunity is enormous. And I think that they will just gradually creep into therapy, teaching, diagnosis, and ultimately the therapy. Toby, you spoke before about the amazing product created by Dr. David Albert. By the way, shout out to David, LifeCore. I really love their product offering. And so could you mention any other products or offerings that could actually change the way we deliver CUR? I'm seeing the ecosystem of the group of companies that are using AI to create bills. And if you stop and think about it, you have all these coders that are working there. It should be perfectly possible to read the chart, assign the CPT code, assign the payer, put a bill out in about two nanoseconds. And right now it takes six weeks before you get a bill out. The accuracy of it is not great. I think there's enormous opportunity to improve that area and to reduce costs. We have over 2,000 people working in revenue cycle right now, and that's just in the main campus. You can just imagine the inaccuracies that come with those many people touching. Gentlemen, what would be your advice for other digital health founders? What should they focus on? What should they prioritize while building their own companies? I'm happy to start. You know, so the advice I would give, and I learned this the hard way, so I'm happy to share it. So I've been building companies for 25 years now, and kind of the first half was not in healthcare. The second half, more current half, has been in healthcare. And I came from the technology space, actually sort of the ad tech and martech space. And when I came over, I came over like most technology first entrepreneurs, which is to say, you know, I saw a space had lots of problems and thought, oh, people need to do to solve this workforce problem. All people need to do is apply some technology and, you know, whip those health systems and doctors into shape and everything will be fine. We've solved this in other spaces. Certainly this is easy to do over here. And that was a really good learning experience for me on that first company, because that's not how it works, as you both know really well. And so what I've come to appreciate over the years is that, you know, it is an industry that is ripe for transformation and needs to be transformed. It's not only a really good business opportunity, given the trillions of dollars spent in it, but it's the right thing to do for society as well to, turn, to transform this industry. And the way to do it is from inside out. So my first company I did, I remember we had a big slide in our slide deck for in our investor deck that had a big no sign over anything requiring any integration within the health system. And of course, here we are today with Dexcare. And one of our key advantages is that we work with the underlying EMR within the health system. And by the way, we do a lot of things that that EMR cannot do. It's not even in their DNA to do. But we have a customer, for example, that spends $3 billion a year, literally, with their EMR organization. And so you've got to respect the investment that the institutions made there, the commitment it's made there, and also the choice they've made to have a system of record. And then start to build on top of those things in a read-write way. This is a very tactical example, but in a read-write way, do that so you respect the strategy of the organization and then amplify what they can do or make better what they can do, as opposed to, I see a lot of 
digital health entrepreneurs doing, particularly ones that are new to the space, coming in and saying, you know, we'll just get rid of all that legacy. We'll just get these guys to start over because we have a better way of doing it. And, you know, there's a lot of really smart technologists out there, a lot of really smart entrepreneurs that very well may be right, that if they could only get this $80 billion health system to abandon their 100 years of legacy and just use the thing they had, that it would be better. They may be right. It's a better technology, but it's never going to happen. And as a result, patients and providers are not going to be served better because they're not even going to get out of the starting block. So healthcare is hard. It takes time and energy and money to do. But we found that if you do respect the system and do it from the inside out to build out, you actually can transform. And by the way, you can also build really competitive moats in your business as well, because most people, most technologies don't want to take the time to do that work of respecting what the health system has done, the providers have done, the patients have become accustomed to. Yeah, and uh, let me just say that I don't think that the healthcare industry and particularly doctors understand the potential of the tech world very well. I certainly don't think that the tech world understands healthcare very well. And I think the evidence of that is why the big tech companies have been unsuccessful in their attempts at healthcare integration. And I uh, firmly hope that I can be helpful introducing the technology companies to the healthcare world and vice versa so that both of them benefit. God knows we need it. And it is a lack of communication. It's like trying to solve a marriage. <laughs> I love it. And are there any partnerships or any particular talent that you're looking for? Is there anything our DigiSection community could do for you? Yeah. So thanks for asking, Oscar. So we're growing very rapidly. There's this concept. Well, we like it's not a concept anymore. This product, we've the solution we built this we call sort of an operating system to make digital care, digital enabled care work for all stakeholders. And again, it's those three areas we talked about earlier is how we define working. This is really taken home with patients, providers, and health systems. And so we're growing very rapidly and to support that growth, we're hiring lots of folks and bringing a lot of, a lot of talent on board, particularly in some of the areas that we've talked about today. So being a data-driven intelligence company, we staff up rapidly in the AI ML space and even the broader data science space, which then leads to kind of the broader engineering space as well. So that's a big focus of our organization right now and always looking for we're trying to ride along with the way work is transformed as well and so we hire all over the world right now to have folks be part of what we're doing uh, we're not kind of constrained by those boundaries so we're always looking for good people most of the relationships we have right now on the customer side are direct with health systems we're of course always looking for more health systems to work with they are our customers um, that's how we keep the lights on here and so that's important to us as well but they're important to us as well and then finally i would say from on the partnership front so we haven't done a lot of these I and mean, you'll see more of this happen in 2022 and beyond we have some of those large tech companies that Toby mentioned are organizations that we're in discussions with right now, precisely because of what Toby said. They see opportunity to partner work together to solve this complicated problem as opposed to them just sort of going it alone as they've tried many, many times. So I would say kind of ecosystem partnerships that really can help power any of those things, right? So they're organizations that understand consumer marketing really, really well that we're in discussions with to help on that digital demand side. There are organizations on kind of the clinical triage side that can be helpful on the intelligence nav side. There are organizations that understand kind of back-end systems, resource and kind of inventory control systems, financial systems as well, that help us get to that capacity optimization or resource allocation part of the equation as well. All of those kinds of organizations are kind of relevant to where we're going. 
Okay, thank you. My last favorite question. I'd love to ask you about your recent inspiration. So are there any you know, things our listeners should read, listen, or watch? Do you have any recommendations on books or movies? <laughs> books or movies. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm interested in, in reading Eric Schmidt and Kissinger's new book, which has just come out. I have not read it, but I'm beating on the bookstore to get it for me. That's a great recommendation. I'm going to put a link under the episode. I'll be the less learned person here than Toby and reach out to mention some kind of a television movie. I guess you, I don't know what you call it, but what I really enjoyed watching lately and I've started most recently and then going back are the annual rock and roll hall of fame induction ceremonies <laughs> here in Cleveland. I tell you, and the reason is, is so, you know, they're about three or four hours long and it's like getting a 20 minute documentary for each of the artists that are recognized in these things. And it's just the variety of talent. And just to see, I guess at the end of the day, I'm always impressed with people that are at the top of their game and are just amazing, have amazing work ethics and amazing talent in that combination in any field. And watching these people, even though it's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it's it actually is across musical genres. There was one the other day I was watching, had Kenny G on it. I'm not a Kenny G person here. You know, certainly wouldn't, most people would not think of him in that light, but the man's work ethic and his talent and all of those things combined has made him relevant for decades. And it's just really inspiring to see people like that, that never stop and are at the top of their game over literally decades. So it's really, really enjoyable. Derek, Toby, it was a real pleasure to have you today as my guest. Thank you for joining. Thank you, Ross. Thanks. producers Michelle, Carol is our editor. If you like what you heard, please follow, download and subscribe. Thank you for listening to Digisection from the Health Podcast Network.